Broadcasting from Columbus, Ohio, this is Campus Reach Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Darrell. This is episode one, getting into open-air preaching. Here I am in the basement of Tom Shorts. Uh, I think the last time I did a podcast was Tom and I were discussing the death of Jed Smock, who was a man that was influential on the two of us uh, when we got into open-air preaching in some regard. But what I want to do here is just kind of have a series over the next couple of weeks where we are discussing getting into open-air preaching. So the last few weeks have had some opportunities to meet with people that have never preached before. And they asked me, you know, I've, I've met with them. They've asked to come out on campus with me, see how I do it. And the most common question we get is, well, how do you start? How do you start? And so that was one of the questions I wrestled with early on when I first started preaching. And here I am about 23 years later after I've first ever preached. And the reality of it is, it doesn't matter how you start. <laughs> your, 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 your initial bra- breaking of the sound barrier uh, doesn't matter. But that's what we want to talk today is how do you get started into open air preaching? And this will be part one of probably a four part series we're going to do. And so I'm with Tom Shorts. And so Tom, if you want to introduce yourself and kind of who you are and what you do, uh, you can do that. Glad to be along with you. My name's Tom Short. I've been actually... First started really open-air preaching in 1980 at the University of Maryland. And uh, since then, I've pastored different churches. But since 1994, I've really been this in this full-time and traveling throughout the country and speaking on other campuses, uh, uh, preaching the gospel there. Yeah, so Tom and I met back in uh, 2000. It was around this time. It was October, I think, of 2000 because I started preaching. First time I ever preached was at Slippery Rock University just north of Pittsburgh. I went up into New England and and my my main thing at the time is I knew what I didn't want to do. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So uh, in not... And knowing what I didn't want to do, what I was actually doing was behaving like Joel Osteen in a way, where it was like I had a big smile, I was really nice, and uh, no one talked to me. I, I was still getting FUs and occasional thing thrown at me, and I remember some students dancing around me like monkeys. You don't believe in evolution? And they started dancing around me like monkeys and all this sort of stuff. Um, but I wasn't really getting things going, and so I was just emailing uh, kind of early discussion groups and internet groups, and uh, someone said there's a guy who'd come through Texas A&M in the 90s, a guy named Tom Short. So I uh, yahooed, I think, at the time, Tom Short. I don't, Google, I don't think, had a presence at that point. And uh, Tom had a little website. I think it was yellow, if I remember the color. It had an envelope with the mail going into – or go, envelope going into the mailbox. And Tom looked like Ned Flanders. I was like, do I want to email Ned <laughs> Flanders? Do I want to Do I want to preach with Ned Flanders? And I was like, well, it's got to – he's, he's at least got to be doing as well as I'm doing. So uh, I, I emailed Tom, and Tom, I believe, was coming up into uh, D.C. at the time. I was coming down out of New England. He said, I'm going to be uh, here this week uh, if you can meet. And so I think the first morning we met was – was uh, George Washington University in Washington, D.C., if you remember that. Uh, I don't remember as well as you do, and, <laughs> and I, I've been told I look like Ned Flanders, that uh, they they stole him, <laughs> they characterized him after me, and so anyway. Uh-huh. Yeah, so we, we met up, and I, even when I first started preaching, one of the first questions I had is, how do you get started? Um, and that's related to getting a crowd, so those two things are intertwined. And so kind of our methodology um, in open-air preaching uh, we're not going out there just to preach and just, you know, just proclaim the gospel to kind of no one or just passers-by. Our desire is to get a crowd gathered, have a lot of dialogue going, and it's it's almost like open-air apologetics, open-air discussion. Because the reality of it is, unless you're an amazing preacher 
and you're unique, very few people are going to come out and just sit there and listen to you preach for an hour. Uh, but they will come out and listen to you interact with people on a bunch of issues and stuff like that for an hour, two hours. You know, we were out uh, on a campus last week till 630. So about six and a half hours in the rain, in the rain, in the rain, even. Yeah. Or Monday. That was Monday. Uh, six and a half hours in the rain. And I was uh, five hours yesterday. I was by myself and even um, and I probably could have gone. Yeah. If I had a partner with me, I probably could have gone longer. Um, but yeah. So so the, the goal is getting this dialogue going and, and things like that. So if you don't mind even just backing up when you first started preaching, maybe you maybe share a little bit about the first time you preached. And then once you kind of discovered like, okay, I got my legs under me. Cause it took me about six weeks when I finally got my legs under me. So you can kind of share it a little bit. From my earliest, it. earliest days, that's yeah. a long time ago. I'm trying to remember <laughs> the, the, the key thing to getting that crowd is you've got to get their attention, obviously. And what makes what we do interesting is that we take questions and we do interact with people and we're not just preaching. Most students aren't really interested in hearing another lecture, particularly about God. And that's the sad truth. You wish they were, but they're not. And so what we have to do is attract their attention and get their attention. Now, it's you can do that by being uh, inciting anger. You can do that by by getting people mad at you, by insulting them. But that's not really the way we want to do it. That that. To me, that steps over the line of what's appropriate and what's right. And so somehow what we have to do is figure out how do you how do you say something in such a way that someone walking by just can't let it go? They can't ignore that. They can't not respond to what you're saying. And uh and and so that usually means you hit some hot button issue. Now to me, should I get yep, some yep. to me, my hot button issues through the years have been, um, there is a God, and the Bible is true, and Jesus is the Lord, the way back to God, the way back to the Father. And if people understand what you mean by that, that's highly controversial. If you can say those things in ways that nobody really gets it, and it's not very controversial, no one really cares that much, they just walk on by and ignore you. Or you can say some of those things in ways that, that someone has to respond and they have to they have to challenge you and they have to push back on you. And when that happens, that's kind of like getting things going. Mm-hmm. When people see that, that's when they that's what people don't want to hear a lecture, but they'd love to see a debate. Yeah. They and they love to see how's this preacher gonna answer that one? And and maybe they have the same question. Yeah. And that was actually the probably the most helpful thing. When you and I met, I still remember you're like, uh, you can preach, you just got to do two things. Because I was going out there like, you know, I was kind of be like Joel, I was trying to be as nice as humanly possible, which is a good thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's nothing, because I wanted to be the antithesis of what I thought a street preacher was, which meant swing the other way. Um, but yet within that, I was almost afraid to, uh, you know, get their attention and kind of that aspect of getting their attention. I do remember one of the things you told me is like, you're way too apologetic, not like, doing apologetics, but you're like almost sorry you're interrupting their day. And one of the things you said is like, just you're the one who has an authority with a message they have to hear. So speak in a way where they have to listen to you. And that kind of, that really was like the big revolutionary thing within that. You, you know, you're, uh, I was, I did put, start to put a little picante on the sermons uh, <laughs> to kind of draw them out a little more spice. Um, but that was, that was the thing I quickly realized is getting that dialogue going. And the, uh, directly related to that is you told me to take two steps back. So if I started to gather a crowd at all, I'd want to go talk to people because you want to be nice. And so I'd go up, shake their hand, introduce myself. And the next thing I knew, I would have cut off the three, four. So let's just say five people stopped and one person's asking a question. And what you need to do 
is get those five people to stop, and then the six. And then next thing you know, you're like, wow, there's 100 people gathered here. But when that first person would stop, ask a question, I'd go up and start talking to them. I'd cut off the other four or five people so no one else would join the conversation. You said take two steps back and uh, bring in more uh, people into your question. And then uh, one of the things that you did that was also helpful to me was kind of doing the kind of like offering up an apology. You said, don't be afraid of like controversial Bible verses. And so yeah, I think you even suggested, and I think I did this only for a couple of weeks, but I started preaching from Romans 1. So Romans 1.18 starts off with the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the ungodliness and righteousness of men who suppress the truth of God and righteousness and kind of has that whole that whole chapter there. Just really, it's Paul is blasting the sins of the Gentiles. So standing on a college campus and you look at a college campus today, it's worse than it was 23 years ago. And the people who gather, you're sitting there going, yeah, they are been handed over to dishonorable passions and their bodies are being dishonored amongst us. And that was the beginning of... I remember I was preaching at Appalachian State University. That was the day I got my legs under me. I was there by myself. I started preaching. And uh, as I started preaching, you know, there were two girls that want to interrupt me. Is this the way to do it? And then, then I, I went guns blazing. I think I just, I went, I went immediately went to a 10 of like, I got, I got two minutes to get a crowd and just started throwing haymakers in every direction. But then people gathered and I quickly transitioned off of that because a girl came up and she said, Hey, would you mind? giving me good vibes. Uh, she asked me not to preach. And at first I was like, if I was a gay group, would you care? She's like, nope. If I was a abortion group, would you care? Nope. And she's like, hey, you can be here, but you give me good vibes. Tell me about the love of God. And so I do remember being like, okay, in order to know about the love of God, you need about the life of Jesus. So I just spent the next hour and a half. And they, they actually, that was one of the, it was actually a rare day because I actually just did a sermonize for an hour and a half. I remember just being done. But that was the day I got my legs on me. I was like, it took six weeks about, because about a week or two after I had left you. Um, and I was like, okay, I can do this. And that, and that kind of finished up the semester. Um, but that's kind of the key thing. So when you even now, so early on to now, what, what is like your, just say your opening line that kind of breaks the sound barrier? Yeah. Well, I, I usually talk either about, uh, the Bible or about Jesus. And I, my opening lines talk about the supremacy, the beauty, the awesomeness of the Bible. I say, I've got mine with me today. I've got it in my hands. I hope you brought yours with you, and I'm holding my Bible. Or it's in your backpack. <laughs> or it's in your backpack, yes. Uh-huh. And I'll just, uh, usually I'll just talk about some of the great things about the Bible. And my and as the as people are walking by, um, I, may, I may talk about how the Bible was instrumental in the founding of our universities and higher education. And my transition line will say, and yet, I understand you can graduate from this university without having been required to thoroughly understand the Bible. Can anyone explain that to me? How could you do that? How could you have a higher education without the Bible? And someone, you know, they just can't resist to say it's separation of church and state. And, uh, <laughs> and it always is almost a meaningless objection. It's not really even immediately connected. So. Yes, yes. And, and, um, and so something of that nature. Or another one that I like to start on is how Jesus is the way to heaven. Now, no one minds you saying Jesus is the way to heaven. No one minds you saying Jesus can take give you eternal life. It's when you make the distinction that Jesus Jesus can save you, Muhammad, Buddha, and Krishna can't. Mm-hmm. That anyone, if, you, if you're following Muhammad, you're not going to make it to heaven. If you're following Buddha, you're not going to make it to heaven. Following Christian, you're not going to make it to heaven. Only Jesus can give eternal life. And that's the truth, and that's important, and people need to understand that. Because when we tell them that Jesus can save you, it, 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 that, that fits on their coexist bumper sticker. That's, you know I mean? it, it's just one of the coexist. Yeah, as yeah, long as you- That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, but we, it's drawing that distinction so that they really understand. And again, that's my point. If you say there's a God, people don't mind until you really make them understand what does that mean? 
there's a God and it's not us. And we, as you often say, we owe that allegiance to God. Mm-hmm. We, more than our state, our, our, our family, our, our home, our race, our gender, all the things you've been saying this week. Yeah. We owe that allegiance to God because he's God. The Bible's unlike any other book. It's not like, it's not like the books in their book bag. It's, it's, it's unlike Jesus isn't like any person. And when you make that clear, um, this happens. Now, I will also say, though, one that I don't do as often, I don't want to just stand out there and talk about sex all day. Mm-hmm. However, once we start taking questions, it's often <laughs> about sex all day, uh-huh. and specifically about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and you know, you get up and say what the, two minutes about the, what the Bible says about homosexuality, and you'll have a crowd. Mm-hmm. And that's an easier way to do it, to get a crowd. I usually don't like to lead with that because when they ask later on, why is it all you only talk about homosexuality? I say, well, because you, you guys are the ones who brought it <laughs> yeah, up. Exactly. But um, yeah, and even that sort of thing, I was actually uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend who I uh, met through Tom, a guy named Rich Suplota. I was with him in Texas uh, last year. And one of the things, and, and you know, my nature is to be contrarian. So I was like, what do street preachers talk about? Hell and homosexuality? I'm not touching the, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say the H word while I'm out here. Because also I do know rhetorically they're going to bring it up. And I, I can just say, I'm not, the, you asked me about hell. I didn't, I haven't said anyone's going to hell. You guys asked me about it. I haven't said anything about homosexuals. You've asked me about it. And so just from a rhetorical standpoint, and I do like even that element, like I, I am not out there for homosexuality. You know what I mean? I'm not a protesting the homosexuals on campus. And I'll often tell them, look, I got a 15 page agenda. You're a footnote on page 15. Like it's not that important to me because the root issue is idolatry and everything we're seeing is downstream from idolatry. So the main issue I want to get at is what's true and then, and how that relates to God. And so that's what I'm doing. And kind of, as you just kind of pointed out, my main crowd gathering element, probably over the past year, um, I've been using Psalm 24 for a couple of years now. Like sound charismatic. I was praying. I believe the Lord said, preach Psalm 24. So I was like, I'll preach Psalm 24. And I remember, I remember the first semester I started reading Psalm 24. I really would. I'd look up and there'd be 75 people gathered. I'd be like, mm. cause I was just like, and then eventually I had to memorize it. It was kind of funny. Cause then you have your summer off and I return in the fall. I was like, Oh, I know how to get them. Read Psalm 24. No one was standing there. You know, you're just kind of looking out like, Oh, okay. I guess you got to fish a little more, but I still will use Psalm 24. And part of the reason I will use that is, um, it starts off the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And obviously not every student is there all day, but I just feel like Psalm 24 enables me to cover absolutely everything. The earth is the Lord. So like, you know, any issue that we're discussing, you know, separation of church, say the earth is the Lord's like it's every issue we're bringing on that. But the thing I throw out to try to get the student's attention, because like, yeah, you're fishing. You're like, all right, how do you fish and get the fish to come to you? Uh, I'll read Psalm chapter 24. Um, the earth is Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. And so when I say the world and those who dwell therein, I read through the whole Psalm back up to to verse one. And so I'll say, so whether you're white, whether you're black, whether you're male, female, straight, gay, confused, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Each and every one of you owes your allegiance to God. You don't owe it to your race. You don't owe it to your gender. You don't owe it to your socioeconomic standing. You don't owe it to the United States of America or to the constitution, even your family, but you owe your allegiance to God. And then from there, as if someone brings up certain questions about that, I, it gives me an opportunity to speak to our relative allegiance. You know what I mean? So like Jesus says, unless you hate your father, mother, you can't be my disciple. But we still have an allegiance to father, mother, but it's a relative allegiance compared to Lord. We can still have allegiance to our country, but it's a relative allegiance to our Lord. And that's the sort of thing that I've kind of found draws, yeah, draws people out. Like we owe our allegiance to absolutely nothing 
other than God, and then we have all these relative allegiances in light of his, uh, basically kingship and rule. And that's been the thing kind of over the, uh, it's, it's actually been a couple of years, but that's kind of been the thing over the past year is just emphasizing our allegiance. Like what's your allegiance to? Um, because, you know, even on a political or on a college campus, politics are often obviously a hot issue and identity politics are a hot issue. So what do you owe your allegiance to? You don't owe it to the LGBTQ. You don't owe it to, you know, the conservatives or the Republicans or the Democrats. Um, now within that, you know, again, derivatively, you do owe a certain sexual ethic in light of the Lord. And so I just felt like that gives me an opportunity to discuss everything and kind of bring me back to like the heart of the issue, then who shall ascend the whole Lord? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, then I'm able to get into the ethical aspects of our life. And so who can ascend? None of us. You know what I mean? Like none of us are clean, but it's Jesus who uh, went up to the hill. He's became unclean that we might become clean. And now he's entered through those gates and, uh, Who's this king of glory? Now I can't remember. It's funny. Uh, quoted every day. Now I can't remember it. But, uh, um, you know, the, the Lord, the, the Lord, Lord strong, strong and mighty. mighty. Yeah, the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up, uh, lift up your heads, O gates, be open up, O ancient doors. And so it's the Lord that goes in. Then we get to go in with him because of what he's done. And so, you know, in many ways, you just preach Psalm, for me, and obviously it's not, it's not an expository sermon in any search where I'm just going through Psalm 24. That gives me a jump off point in every direction that no matter what question comes to me, I can kind of run it through Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's. Why can God do this? The earth is the Lord's. Why did, blah, blah. Why can't these people get in? Uh, they don't have clean hands and a pure heart. Here's why Jesus can get in. So I, so I often will use Psalm 24 as my jump off point. So I kind of realize that it kind of helps gather a crowd, gives me a, a point of contact on a myriad of issues. You know, one, one thing I'd like to add here on drawing the crowd is the first times years ago we were ever trying to preach publicly, uh, we would stand up and kind of try and relate to the students. Uh, we'd say, you know, psychologists say our basic needs are blah, 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 blah. And lo and behold, that's what Jesus came to do. And 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 and, uh, and and I realized no one thought I'm a psychology professor out there at the time I was 21 years old. You know, no one no one buys that. I they know we're out there to talk about God. No one else stands up and talks about this other than Christians. And at one point, I I changed my mind. Instead of trying to say, I'm going to go try and relate. Now, by the way, and that's kind of where Paul was at. And, and I think that's where it comes from. Paul in Acts 17, he did relate to the people where they're at and work into the gospel. But in our day, if you're going to stand up and preach publicly, they know you're a Christian. <laughs> you know, and so, uh-huh. and so uh-huh. I'm unashamed, again, unashamed and unapologetic. This is the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. This is the marketplace ideas. We have the answer. We have the truth. You're searching for all these things and you're looking for things, you're looking in the wrong places. Here's where the answers are. Unapologetic, this is God and the Bible. Now, some people write you off and say they won't care, but that will draw people. Mm-hmm. And and people are drawn to courage and conviction. And when they see someone who really believes something, that's what causes some people to get angry at us. And it's what causes other people to say, I want what that guy has. Mm-hmm. And so you've got to take the both. You've got to take both of them. If you're just trying to be too fit in, you don't get anyone angry and you don't get anyone says they want to be like you. Yeah. And I think even to that point, it is oftentimes like you see like, and you know, I don't want to put down anybody's methods or techniques, but it's one of those things like that you show up to like uh, a game and then it's like, and then like they stop in the middle of the game and try to show the gospel. It's like a bait and switch. You know what I mean? And everyone's like, oh man, I thought I just came over to get like a Coca-Cola. You know what I mean? And, and there's like, how do you train? And sometimes, you know, they'll, they'll have like such and such a church with, you know what I mean? So it's clear that they're Christians doing something and there might be a gospel conversation, but I've always kind of hated that bait and switch. You know what I mean? It's like you show up for this and then you get uh, pizza night. It's really the gospel night or whatever it is. And, 
and that's pretext to draw people for something else. And one of the things I've always liked about the open air preaching, there's no pretext. You know what I mean? Everyone knows why we're there. Everyone and everyone knows what we believe. That's even the same thing. Of why I don't talk about heaven. No one's shocked the street preacher thinks homosexuality is a sin. Yeah. No one, no one's really sitting there going, "Does that guy think it's a sin?" No one thinks, does, "Does that guy believe in hell?" You know what I mean? Like you're a street preacher. You got you, got, you know two hundred years of baggage of every <laughs> maniac with a bullhorn and a banner uh, building into whatever it is you're doing. And so, kind of the contrary thing. That's why even early on, I was basically Joel Osteen. <laughs> and one of the things that appealed to uh, you to me early on was like you had. I thought it was the right blend of like confrontational yet grace, and even Jesus' words. Um, or John's words about Jesus, uh, the law came through most grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So what are we trying to do on a college campus? We're trying to bring grace and truth. And I've always maintained like it's in the cross. If we taken up our cross and we're following Jesus in the cross, you have unflinching grace and unflinching truth. So no matter what depravity they're ingrained in, you can have grace with them. But no matter how, you know, we're tempted to compromise because oh, maybe they'll hear us better. No, truth as well. And if you're taking the cross to an individual, you're bringing both of those things. And so we don't need to compromise in any direction, either in being gracious to people or being truthful to people. And that's one of the things I've I've enjoyed about the campus preaching is like, People come out to talk to us, and they know exactly what they're showing up for. There's just, there's just no bait and switch. So that's right. That's right. It's one of the things I enjoy. So, any other thoughts on uh, you know, if, if someone was like, "Man, I want to give it a shot," what would you what would you recommend well, somebody do? Be bold, be courageous. The the verse for for years when I first started, it's out of context with Psalm 80, <laughs> Psalm eighty one ten. And, and just to let you guys know, those verses out of context will preach. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you may not have it right, but you can preach them. So. Yes. So I would be standing there wondering what to say, and 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 uh, Psalm eighty one ten to open your mouth wide, and I will fill it, and I'd say, Lord, I'm going to open my mouth wide. Don't give me food, give me words, <laughs> and and let me feed them. Fill my fill my mouth. You know, the hardest thing is is uh, starting, and there's no easy way to do it. You just got to open your mouth, lift up your voice loud, be loud, be active. Um, I, I start with scripture and say, Lord, you got to draw him, and he does. Mm-hmm. Be bold, be courageous. There's no easy way to do it. I often say it's like jumping into a cold swimming pool on a hot day. You want to dip your toe in and think that if you dip your toe in, you're warming the water up. You won't. It's going to be cold when you jump in, but then you adapt and you're glad you're in there. It's going to be hard to start preaching. It's unusual. It's different. Someone might get a, You have no idea what people are going to do. Are they going to yell at you? Are they going to stop? Are they going to say you're interrupting them? What are they going to, you don't know the answer. You're stepping into the in, into that cold swimming pool. But I'll tell you. I'm always glad I do. Mm-hmm. Always glad I do. And God always rewards the courage of just speaking up and declaring his word. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say, as you go to it, I always say it's like riding a bike. You stink. You know what I mean? It's wobbly. You fall off. You're going to skin your knee. And that that's the reality. And you got to give yourself a few weeks. Like if you just go out once, like you're just going to stink. And so this idea that you're going to go out there and just rock it, um, you're, you're not going to do that. It took me yeah, roughly six weeks to get my legs under me. And and I, and I will say something you did, I did as well. And that's when I first started. I kind of also was aware of what I don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And so I had three weeks where my wife and I went to went on campuses where no one would know me. And if I blew it, mm-hmm. I just wouldn't go back. And there was no internet in those days, so you were safe. You were safe. <laughs> yeah, you were safe. Yeah, yeah, you had total anonymity. You know? and, and some <laughs> of the things I I did, they just went great. They really went well, and I thought, and I, and I, I had, to, but I had to try it. Where if it didn't go well, 
I wouldn't be embarrassed or the reputation of our church or things like that. So I had to do that. And uh, and that's three weeks was instrumental. So that's another thing I encourage people. Try it some places where if you fail, you, no one knows you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it is. Yeah, it's kind, of, kind of get your legs on you. Yeah, so basic introduction, go out there. You got to do it. You're going to fall off your bike. Realize you're not going to be very good. Uh, persevere. Don't quit. But yeah, yeah. don't overthink your introduction. Uh, maybe get a bottle verse. I literally start every day. My friend Sean makes fun of me. He's like, how are you going to start today? Uh, all right, students. Because I was like, uh, all right, students, a reading from God's holy word, the Bible. Literally, all I need to do is crack the air. And I get butterflies every single time I'm about to preach. So I don't know if do you ever get nervous at all. I, I get butterflies every day. Yeah, so. the, the, the worst thing that can happen is that nobody listens to you. Uh-huh. And then well, you I think the worst is when they say, you suck. Get a real job, loser. I think that's the worst. Well, yeah. I, I can take that. To me, it's when you, you start preaching and nobody has stopped. And what do you do? Because uh-huh. you look a little lonely out there. Feel uh-huh. naked. And, uh, but, but they won't, for one thing for sure, they won't stop if you don't start speaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully that encourages you on the basic idea of getting going. And next week we'll look at basically once your crowd starts to gather, kind of how you help maintain it, how you kind of keep things going. And then we'll kind of look at maybe concluding uh, in one of the other episodes. All right. That's this episode of the Campus Preacher Podcast. If you want to learn a little bit more about me, it's campuspreacher.com. Tom Short is tomthepreacher.com. Tomthepreacher.com. Yeah. So you can go to tomthepreacher.com. I'm campuspreacher.com. If you want to email me, keith at campuspreacher.com. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.